Are you looking for a new website for your business? Sick of trying to DIY or don't want to spend months and months of back and forth with a website designer? Hey, I totally hear you. That's why at Lala Social Club, we've created our sister studio, Three Day Websites, which is essentially where you hand your website design over to us and we'll concept, design, and build your dream website in three days. Yep, three days. So if you're a busy business owner and you want to launch your dream website or update your current site in three days, then all you need to do is head on over to threedaywebsites.co and book a time to chat with us. Now let's dive in to today's episode. Welcome to My Business Playbook, where we pull back the curtain on the steps and missteps of successful people. You'll hear a raw and unfiltered play-by-play of what's worked and what hasn't, giving you helpful advice and insights so you can build your dream business. I'm your host, Laura Higgins, and this is My Business Playbook. Well, hello and welcome back to My Business Playbook. It is so good to be with you today. I hope that wherever you are, whatever you're doing, you are well and you are winning. Today, we're talking all things sales. Now, before you uh, throw your phone into some sort of body of water and run in the opposite direction screaming, I want to let you know this conversation will really help your business. We are joined by Adrian Smith, who is a sales expert, and he actually has been uh, involved with the Next Level Club in coaching our clients on how to scale their sales process and how to approach sales so that they can really not only increase their sales and increase their revenue, but actually start to experience more freedom in their business as they start to nail their sales and close more deals. So this is for you if you are struggling to confidently sell your product or service, you you get stuck, you feel like you fumble over your words, you don't have a sales process in place. This is also for you if you are like struggling with the mindset around increasing your prices or actually asking for the sale. And finally, this is for you if you want to communicate the value of your offer. So if you want to do those three things, then you're going to love this conversation with Adrian Smith. Now, Adrian and I have been friends for a long time and he actually came back into our world in a business sense when he started um, working with Run Gopher, which is like, it's like an MMS marketing platform. And so I was super curious about what he was doing and then realized, oh my gosh, you're kind of a like master of sales. We should be like getting you to help our clients and getting you to help our community. So we teed up this conversation and my goodness, I've, after the call, like I was taking all of these notes of things that we want to change and things that we want to do in our business. So I hope that you find this helpful and I hope that you can actually implement what Adrian's sharing today. Let's dive into my conversation with the wonderful Adrian Smith from Run Gopher. Well, welcome, Adrian. It's so good to have you on the show. I feel very lucky today because you've just hosted a coaching session with our students and members inside of the Next Level Club, yeah. and then we jumped straight into a podcast recording. Uh, so I feel like you're going to be sick of me by the end of the day. 
but I'm Are glad. Are you making me lunch as well? Like, yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think, well, maybe, <laughs> maybe there's lunch. I don't know. I'm, um, I can Uber eat something to you. It's fine. It's been a good morning. Thanks <laughs> yes. for the invite. I appreciate it. Oh, well, thank you for joining me and thanks for joining our clients. It was awesome. So I feel like we're kind of jumping straight in after this session that we had this morning. Mm. And I really feel like it'd be awesome for us to, like you're a bit of a sales guru. Um, and I really want to unpack a bit about how we should be approaching sales um, as service providers, as as creatives, as business owners. But first I want to unpack a little bit more of your story. So tell me about how did you kind of fall into this role? How did you become a sales consultant, expert coach? How did, how did you do this? <laughs> they are big words, Laura. Um, <laughs> uh, I don't really know. I'm one of those guys that like when I look back on my life, I've had I think at one point I counted 30-odd jobs because I, like, started in McDonald's and I went to a fruit shop and then I drove excavators, I built kitchens. I, I kind of have done everything yeah. until the point where I was working at Gloria Jeans and the owner of Telstra Salamander Bay, because I grew up in Nelson Bay, Telstra Salamander Bay said, hey, would you like a job coming and selling phones? I was like, okay, I like talking. So I did. I went and started selling phones um, and then that kind of that defined the next 10 years of my life with kind of selling phones and then working into different positions within Telstra and the licensee channel. And so I would go from selling phones to managing the store to working on the business side of things and selling to businesses um, to looking after the NBN rollout when that happened to looking after big deals um, within the Telstra world to then working with a consultant to then consult to Telstra. So it was kind of like that's a very <laughs> short snippet. Condensed of, version, <laughs> but, yes. Um, and then I was consulting to businesses and one of them happened to be Run Gopher, which I run now. Um, and so here I am. I am doing things that you say I am good at. So let's see. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And for anyone listening who isn't uh, from Australia, Telstra is like, it's kind of a big deal. Like it's the biggest telco in Australia, right? Yeah. The largest, um, the longest standing. Um, yeah. So it's, it's a good company. It was great. It was a great experience. I learned a hell of a lot. Um, yeah. And so it was cool. And that kind of was the springboard for a lot of what I do now. Yeah. And, and so, in that journey for you, kind of like going from making coffee into like, oh, now I'm a salesperson, <laughs> what do you think in, in the journey, and I know that there's probably loads of things, but what do you think have been some of the missteps or big kind of learning moments for you that helped you grow, um, particularly in, in your skill set in sales? Yeah. I remember, um, so, one of the consultants that I worked with, his name's Dave Llewellyn. Uh, he's an older guy, retired now, but just amazing. And I I can talk to people. I am naturally good at, in Australia, we'd call it bullshitting basically, but <laughs> I can, the gift of the gab in a lot of ways. Yeah. I thought selling was just holding a good conversation and in a lot of ways it is. But until I was taught like what a structured conversation looks like, 
with like directed questions um, and how to how to actually frame something, how to take ownership over a conversation, how to take people through it, how to extract value out of people. It wasn't until that moment that I realized sales is more than a conversation. Like it really is an art form in in many ways, but it can be a simple art form. Mm. Um, and so f- for me, selling phones on the floor was easy. People came in, they either wanted one or they didn't. And I was yeah. pretty upfront. Do you want a new phone today? Yes or no? Yes. Okay, well, I'll talk to you. If it was a no, then I wasn't that interested. Yeah. But then that kind of cut off future business. So for me, it was understanding that sales is well and truly before, happens before the conversation and well and truly after the conversation. Yeah, that's so good. Okay, let's dive into, and I know that you kind of, you wear a few different hats and and you're involved with, you know, a bunch of different businesses as well. But let's dive into kind of some of the sales basics. Talk to us about, you just said like sales happens before the conversation, during the conversation and after the conversation. What do you mean by that? And, and how does that actually look? <laughs> so there's typically like five steps to a sale. One is that there has to be some kind of exposure to you as a product and the client or customer either has to have a felt need or a perceived need. So they either need to carpet their house or you convince them that re-carpeting is a good idea. So it's either real or perceived. So there's some kind of attention that needs to happen so that your company's selling well before someone has a conversation with you. If it's you as a person, then the way you show up online, the way that you present yourself, the way that clients talk about you, you are selling well before you ever talk to your future clients. And so understanding that is crucial. Um, the negotiation or where the sale actually happens, where people exchange money for goods, that's a huge important part. And then the after sale. So if you're not looking after your clients um, and if you're not bringing the most value out of them, then they're not going to tell anyone about you. So you've killed future business in that way. If you're not negotiating well and you're dropping your price, but there's a saying and it's what you win them to, you keep them with. What you win mm-hmm. them to, you keep them with. So if, if someone has spruiked your business as cheap and nasty but will get you by, that's what you'll win clients to and that's what you'll keep them with. You will always have to be cheap, nasty, but keep people in that way. If you win them to high value, um, high touch, you know, really changing their life, then that's what you'll keep them with. As soon as you start discounting, that's how you then have to build your business in the future. So you've got to realize that the negotiation that happens when you're sitting face-to-face with someone is crucial. Um, The process, the structure that you have with that is crucial. And then the post-sale is how do people talk about you? And that links back to this beautiful cycle that we have. Um, That is a very abridged version. But in sales, you... You need to quickly understand, and we went through this this morning in in your workshop, if you can ask the right questions, then you know where someone already sits within that sale. Are they ready? Are they not? What do they think about you? Yeah. You then, if you have good questions to extract that, then you can really work with that moving forward and understand, okay, I'm going to win this client because it's based on value. That's what I'll keep them with. That's how we negotiate. Did that answer the question? That yes, one hundred percent. That's that's really helpful. So, can you recap? You said how many steps was in that process? There's five. five. I talked about three. So right. attention, yeah, 
there's always tension, uh, interest, negotiation, exchange, and then future business is how I would put them. And do you know what, like even as you're saying that, I think we don't pay enough attention to future business. No. Like I think that's such, we're always thinking new leads, new leads, like getting more people through. And then we actually can sometimes forget that our past clients or or existing clients can be our, can keep us going, you know, and yeah. and actually can become our greatest advocates. There's a There was a study done that suggested that exist uh, new clients cost 75% more than retention of clients. So we're talking about future yeah. business. So everyone's obsessed with new leads, but they neglect how to actually account manage or manage their current relationships. And it costs 75% more to get new clients than to retain clients. And so future business is really about what is the lifetime value of this client and how do I nurture this in the best possible way? Yeah. So retention is a, would you say retention is a part of the sales process? You have to have it in mind. You have to. Wow. Yeah. That's such a good thought. What's the, if you look on your current clients and you go, okay, what's the life cycle of this? How long do they stick with us? If it's a subscription business, then it might be three years or it might be 12 months. What's the future value? What is the value of this client to us and how do we nurture Mm -hmm. it the best? And would I spend $10,000 to get that client again? It's much easier to keep them than to get them again. Wow. And I think that's such a good point too. And and like we always harp on about, hey, like when's the last time you've emailed uh, your past customers? When's the last time you've actually emailed people on your list who are engaged and connected with you and are aware of you. And so many people are like, oh, you know, a couple months back. And it's like, why would we, like, and I even think about e-commerce, why would we spend more money on Facebook ads when we're not even speaking to our past purchases? Everyone's obsessed with new and they've got a client base of there that they need to nurture. Yeah. Of thousands of people sometimes. Yeah. Like people that have inquired and then fallen cold or whatever. How do you how do you bring life back into that? They were interested for a reason. Mm. That reason hasn't gone. It might have changed. But yeah. there's still future business within that. Yeah. Okay. So thinking about what like when you work with small businesses, mm. what are the common big mistakes like the deal breakers that you see that people make when it comes to selling um when it comes to selling there's no clear process often Mm. repeatable process they might have something clear but it's not repeatable they change it every conversation they have so when it comes to selling it's a repeatable scalable process doesn't matter whether the client is worth a million dollars or a hundred dollars, the process stays the same. Because yes. there was one, there was one time when I was in working for Telstra, um, prepaid Wi-Fi was yeah. a painful process because they pay you thirty dollars, you still have to put them into the system. But I realised that there was a real opportunity in prepaid because often I worked in North Sydney at this point. Often those prepaid clients worked at big corporates. They all worked in the buildings around us. 
And so my biggest claim to fame there was I took a $30 prepaid, because I went through the same sales process, a $30 prepaid Wi-Fi to a sale worth $250,000 just by asking the right questions. What's the Wi-Fi for? Who do you use it for? Okay, it's going to be someone in the company. What do they do in the company? Oh, they're the CEO. They take it on their holiday. Okay, what if we had another solution? And then suddenly the process exposes that there's actually a real opportunity there. And so the thing I find the most is people, they scale their sales process based on perceived value of a client and they need to stop doing it. Yeah. So talk to me about that. Is that when people... So if someone says, I want a $30 prepaid thing and we go, okay, cool. Well, we're going to sell you the thing that you've come in and said you want rather yep. than asking them the right Exactly right. Questions. So the the big one is like even this morning we found, oh, someone's already told me what their budget is. Yeah. So suddenly mentally you've already switched off because you're like, well, it's a bit lower than I thought. Hang on a second. Your process will uncover their real budget and the real value that they have as a client to you. Don't let the budget, don't let what they've asked for actually dictate how you take them through the process. Everyone should go through the same process. And at the end of it, the solution is the same often. Um, They say yes or no. But don't don't neglect your process because someone thinks that, you know, they're not going to be worth it or they're not they don't have the value or whatever. Mm. That's such such a good point. And I even think like this week we had a um, sales call with a, someone who wanted inquired about three-day websites and they came in and they were like, yeah, cool, we've got this website and uh, also we have another one. And immediately it was like, yeah. oh, well, that's two, that's two sales from one phone call and it, and it was because it was asking questions. It yep. was like, oh, okay, cool, we didn't realise you had another thing that you're working on because because they didn't disclose that in their no. inquiry. So it's really interesting. It can be a bit arrogant to think I know what this person wants when you haven't even asked them anything. Yeah, yeah. it's like that classic old, you know, what they drive or how they present. We always had it in store, like in a Telstra store where it's like if they were working, what they wear, which is different now because tech like startups that are worth billions <laughs> of dollars, the dudes in flip-flops and like, stubbies um or short shots (laughs) like it's it doesn't doesn't work anymore you you can't judge someone based on anything other than what they tell you when you ask the question yeah and so how do we then ask good questions (laughs) that's the million dollar question that is a million dollar question (laughs) um how do you ask good questions you need you need to get clarity around what you're actually offering. So you've got to start at what you're offering and then work back from there. So if you are a service, a graphic designer or interior design or, you know, some kind of like service industry, very much face-to-face, high touch, often high emotion, what's the offer? And then how do you get someone, how do you lead someone via your questions to lead them to that point where you are the most valuable thing and you're going to solve their problems? And so the questions are have to lead back from that place. You have to understand what people, like, why they've come to you too. So we asked the question this morning, go back 12 months and think about why the reasons everyone said no to you. The reason everyone said no to you needs to, you need to uncover that in your sales process. If you're too expensive, then you need to hit that on the head yeah. by asking questions 
that move them away from too too expensive. If it's they you're too niche, then make sure your questions uncover that. Do you fit within my niche? Be yeah. unapologetic about saying no to clients. People are so scared of saying no. Say no more. Yes. Work with the clients that you really want to work with. Yes. Oh, I love that. And one thing you said in in your questions is, and I love that you said this about first knowing your offer and then knowing the objections. And what I have found is when we can weave in the objections in our questions, yes, it becomes less like, I've heard it described like, if they say, oh, it's too expensive, then you can kind of hit it like a tennis ball back to them and be like, well, you know, you're just cheap. <laughs> you know, and it's like, <laughs> well, you don't want to do that. It becomes a bit defensive. But if you're yeah. addressing the things that yeah. are the common objections throughout, it becomes a bit more like, it's not a a competition or a defensive thing. It's just a I'm addressing the things that I think are, that may be an objection potentially. Yeah. yeah, there's a great there's a copywriter on LinkedIn, and his tagline is "I'm the second copywriter that you'll use." Like he says up front, "I'm expensive, but you'll go use a cheap alternative and then realize you should have stayed with me in the first place." So yes. he up front is just like accepting that he's expensive but he knows that he's very good yeah and so he just up front says i'm the second copywriter that you'll use yeah. because you'll say i'm too expensive to start with and so we like i said in our workshop this morning we've got three thing three reasons people say no to us and i up front will tell people that you will say no to me for three reasons we either don't fit the niche that you're in or the industry that you're in we don't um, we don't translate to other languages outside of English because our bot doesn't do that. And we just simply don't have the industry experience or something like that. I tell yeah. them up front, yeah. these are the three reasons you'll say no to us. Yeah. And let them opt in or out. It's not up to me to say no, but the yeah. process stays the same. Yeah, I love it. I love that. So in, you know, thinking about post, um, and I do want to kind of go into how you use like the results you've seen in Run Gopher and what you what you've done to achieve that, but in a post kind of COVID world, there's a lot of talk of like ah the recession and all that stuff. Yeah, should we be approaching sales differently? Do you think we need to do anything different, or is it just not stay the course and just keep doing what you're doing? I don't necessarily think we need to do a whole lot different the the issue is is that when covid hit and the world went spread out we don't have bodies of people in front of everyone anymore mm. i work from home our whole company works from home i haven't done a face-to-face -face meeting in a long time everything's yeah. on zoom yeah and so learning the art of actually selling over different um, forms of communication yeah. is the thing that we need to understand so I talk about avenues of engagement now rather than um, avid, like engagement face-to-face. -face. We need to find ways to engage an audience more than just how we used to do it. So, for instance, when I talk to a client, I'll ask them what their contact strategy is. And that means something different to everyone. But how do you communicate with your clients currently? Mm. And so they'll say, well, we email, we 
might do a telemarketing once a year. We might do a newsletter. Okay, well, what are the form, what are the avenues of engagement that get high touch? Like, what what are you using that people really respond to? Because that's where you convert people. Yeah. Well, emails at twenty five percent open rate, so that's not real good. So there's seventy five percent there that don't even read what you're sending, and so. I start to talk about, okay, well, if you're going to convert this person, then you need to find ways to engage them in platforms that they are looking at because everyone's scattered. So for us, that's SMS. That's what we use at RunGopher. Um, yeah. RunGopher is a conversational SMS tool. And so we say, okay, well, SMS is getting you 90% engagement. So why don't we use that as part of your process and once they've engaged with you, then you can actually have a sales conversation with them. So you asked the question, what should we be doing differently in a post-pandemic world? The answer is find new ways to engage your audience. Stop yeah. relying on the things you used to do because they just don't work. There's um, my good friend, Michael McQueen, he, he presented, I went to one of his um, presentations, and he said, if Einstein was alive today, I don't think he's famous Insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. He said, I, I don't think he would say that today. He would say, insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting the same results. Not different, the same results. What worked yesterday mm. was not going to produce the results that you want today. So you've got to find ways to adapt your sales process. You've got to find ways to communicate with clients. You've got to find new ways to do things. And stop being scared to do it. Yeah, That's one thing. Stop being scared. Everyone's yeah. scared. Everyone is a bit scared and I think there is an aversion to sales uh, that I really understand. And, and when I started my business, I was 23 and I was, well, when I started, like before I even started my business, I was in sales um, trying to sell coffee to cafes to try to like wholesale and I was the worst. I would like go in and I'd bring my little bag of coffee in and the coffee was <laughs> awesome and and like shout out to Glee Coffee. Thanks for giving me that job because I was terrible at it. Um, and like it was my brother-in-law. So he kind of, he couldn't fire me really. So we need <laughs> but, to give her something. <laughs> we need to give her something. Anyway, I I was terrible at it and I would go in and I would be so sheepish and I'd give them the bag of coffee and then I'd be like, do you know what? Forget about it. I don't know. Like I just kind just of. take it. Yeah, saunter out and like I was just like, oh, my gosh, this is just terrible. Uh and so when I started my business, I knew I cannot survive in business if I don't figure out sales because it is literally the thing that yeah. it's like oxygen in your business and it and it without it and without the skill uh, like it's Nothing not happens. enough it's not enough to be good at your your craft it's not enough to be a good designer it's not enough to be like beautiful artist or whatever, it, it actually you have to be able to sell on have some to. level. You're a sales, if you're in business, you're a salesperson before you are whatever profession. Yes, like you, agreed. You might be an incredible graphic designer, but you're a salesperson before that because mm -hmm. if you can't sell your service and not sell, we said it this morning, like everyone thinks sales is shady or pushy or whatever. Like yes. if you can't, present value to a client, ask good questions, present value and ask for the sale, then you're not a great graphic designer because you have no one to, to actually design for. Yeah. You're a salesperson before you are X profession if you're in business.
Yeah, completely. And that's why in the Next Level Club too, we've really made it that, hey, like, of course, like my expertise is marketing. Of course, we're going to focus on marketing. Yeah. But but the offer, your sales process, your systems, they're all huge components of the program because you can't scale without sales. Yeah. <laughs> like you can't. You can. <laughs> and so it's, I think it's a really important thing that people need to understand is a skill. And and the reason I was talking about my days of trying to sell coffee is I recognized at 23, I've got to figure this out, otherwise I'm not going to survive in business. And I actually had to invest in learning it. Yes. So when people say to you, Adrian, oh, like I don't want to be pushy or I'm worried about being salesy or, you know, this was just their budget so I just said yes anyway, I, I don't <laughs> know how to say no. How do we get out of that little mindset kind of funk, I guess? How, how do we kind of pull ourselves out? What, what are the mindset shifts you think we need to make? Um, we ran through half an exercise this morning. And, and the question was, if I told you to double your price, how would you feel? Now, a lot of, a lot of people, any industry, a lot of people will go, ugh. I don't feel great about that. And so my question back to you is, well, what is it about, what is it, why is that? Mm. Like, are you not that good? Like, do you <laughs> truly believe you're not that good? That, that could be an answer. Yeah. Oh, I'm not that good. I can't charge that much. And so the follow-up is, well, someone out there is charging double what you charge for the same service that you offer. So yeah. it's, it's not about that. It's about belief that I can actually present something to you I see value in it and therefore I can present it. And so I think the mindset shift is just backing yourself a little bit, knowing that cost is, I said this phrase, cost is only argued when value isn't present. People always rely on cost because it's the easiest out. You, you, you can't push back on, well, actually, you can afford it, but you, like you can't yeah. say that. <laughs> like, so cost is the easiest out, but understanding under that, that there's probably a few levers that people are pulling on, you haven't presented value enough. So the mindset shift is, one, knowing that you are, you do have a good offer, that what you present is valuable, um, that you are a great designer, you just need to be able to learn to how to talk about it, that you are a great service provider in whatever industry that is, but learning the art of how to actually present that as a value proposition, mm. that's key. Back yourself, try things out, say no to clients and know how that feels. That's a yes. really important lesson in business. We ask them, what's your current what's your current revenue and where do you need to get to per client, cost per client? If there's a discrepancy, if you're happy with $100 a month, that's great. If you need to get them to 200 then don't accept the 100 Yeah. Challenge yourself to chase the ideal client and the ideal rate um, for your business. Yeah. It feels gross because you're saying no to money, but it just works out. I don't know what it is. You just suddenly get more confident in presenting value and clients pick up on that. Mm. It's such a good point. And I think you touched on this idea of uh, firstly, being able to say no to the wrong fit mm. uh, and also being okay with if you do increase your prices, if you do 
um, go into these sales conversations, you're not going to have a 100% conversion rate. <laughs> no, get used to people <laughs> saying no. Yeah, and I think that's the rejection thing I think feels, and that was me when I was walking in with my coffee beans. I was like, <laughs> don't worry about it. You're going to say no anyway. Like, <laughs> I'm terrible at this. And and the rejection thing kind of it comes with the territory, right? Mm, exactly right. And people, um, I talked about a story where I, I was um, trying to sell something, but in my head it was it was a big figure, mm. and so everything I said was trying to justify the big figure, which I hadn't told them yet. But people pick up on the on it as well. Yeah. Like if you're hesitant about what you're proposing and the value that you add, then people will be hesitant to commit to you. Yeah, you need to find a way to be confident, and people need to stop thinking about sales in the way of like. How we always have. If if I ask you about your business and your design or your marketing capabilities, you can easily tell me about it. We do this. We're great at SEO. We're not great at this. We're just wonderful in this area. We've got a great team that does this. Suddenly, you've got a value proposition. Like yeah. people need to do more of that and less of like trying to say our product is ninety nine dollars and it includes all these things. Start with value. Pricing comes later. Yes. I love that. And I think the the mindset shift of a lot of the time we think, you know, charge for your value. And I get uh, that concept irks me because I'm like, no, no, no. Demonstrate your value. Demonstrate, yes. And do that first. And then price becomes like I think a lot of the time we put our own weird money stuff mm-hmm. into our sales. So yep. we and I I find sometimes I'm like you know, recently we just increased a price of one of our services by $1,000 because we were like, well, why not kind of thing. We were just like, okay, well, let's just do it. And nobody batted an eyelid. Not a single person said, oh, you know, like no you one has- that $1,000. No I one know. does. And the conversion has still been the same. Like yep. we, we have not seen a drop off in sales. And I think sometimes we can stay small because it feels like- it's our money mindset and our capacity of what we would maybe invest. But it's like the worst that can happen is you can increase your prices and go, oh, well, either we haven't demonstrated the value enough or maybe we're not speaking to the right people. Yeah. And it it becomes less emotional, right? It becomes like, oh, it's a data thing. Let's just look at who we're attracting, the types of leads we have and go from there. And people pay it. I think you could have added another thousand. See, the issue and a reflection to you, Laura, is like I talked about pre-sale and post-sale mm. and then the interaction in the middle, which is the commitment. The The thing that you do really well is that pre-sale. Yeah. So people already know that there's value attached to Lala or Next Level Club or whatever three-day websites. Everyone knows that there's already value attached. So yeah. when you come to the commitment conversation, of like, let's define this relationship in dating talk. Yes. Um, it's, you're not, it's not a shock to you. You charge this and people already know that because there's been so much value added already. And so I think where people come unstuck is that um, they forever, they're obsessed for whatever reason, they're obsessed with dollars and think for whatever reason they can't ask for money. Mm. whether it's an upbringing thing, whether it's, it's definitely our society in Australia, like yeah. the tall poppy syndrome is a thing. 
Like yeah. how dare you promote yourself and how dare you ask people to pay for your promotion of yourself and yeah. like how dare you be successful. Um, but just get comfortable with asking yeah. and start small. This week, if you've got 10 client conversations, increase your price in one of those conversations and see what happens. Yes. Yeah. Just, I love just it. Just try it. Double it for one of them. See what they say. They might say yes. Oh, my goodness. That would be awful, wouldn't it? Like, <laughs> yes. yeah, it's oh, that's su- that's such good advice. And I think sometimes we we think we need to ask for permission, and it's like, no, just give it a go and see see what happens. And I love that strategy of increase your price, see how it feels, and if someone buys it, you'll probably never charge the original price you're charging ever again. No, I said to a client that I was working with, I said to them. Talk to your clients. Let's let's increase your price and see what happens. And none of them have said no. Not one of them have actually said no. And so suddenly you just go, well, I feel a bit silly now that I didn't do this earlier because everyone's willing to accept it. Yeah. And now I get excited about my business again because I've increased price. People are seeing value in what I offer. And so now I give better service anyway. So there's it. Completely. It, it's quite a good cycle. Try it out. Stop being scared. Ask for it. The worst you can do is discount to the original price you're going to ask for anyway and sell yeah. still yours. Yes. Oh, it becomes way less emotional when you think <laughs> about it like that. Hey, it becomes really like, oh, okay, well, if if this, then that kind of thing. It exactly just right. feels so much um, less charged. I think sometimes we can come to sales conversations with and even, you know, we noticed in our um, workshop with our members this morning, the feeling was I'm scared of selling. And it's like, okay, well, this is something yeah. we've got to work on because we can't grow while we – and also just on the marketing front, if your fear, your fear of sales ties into your marketing, like it <laughs> plugs straight in because if you hate sales conversations – you are never going to ask people to take the next step in your marketing because no. you're going to be like, I hate doing those. The call to action will be find out more. It's like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's like <laughs> it's self-sabotaging and it yeah. and the cycle repeats. So the more, the, the longer we take to sort out our sales process and our sales mindset, the longer we stay stuck in this little pool of oh, no one wants to pay what I'm, what I feel like is uh, – our business or our offer is valued at and it's like well then I hate the sales conversations because I always get disappointed and then I never talk about them anyway in my marketing and then I sit at home and eat a tub of ice cream kind of thing like it just it (laughs) feed they directly feed into each other and I notice like even even with us when we're when we're on a roll with sales it compounds because we then go oh my gosh this is exciting and our marketing matches the level of our expectation in the sales, I think. Yeah. So it they're like this little kind of one-two punch, I think, the two of them together. It's it's a winning combo. Yep. Um a little a little tip, a little tip for yes. people out there with sales. Um when it comes to pitching your price, learn the art of silence. So when it comes to your solution selling or um summarize your sale and then talk about your pricing. Okay, our price is this, the process is this, how does that sound? And then count to 15 and don't say a word. 
count to 15. Slow count? Or like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. <laughs> slow, slow, slow count. One, two. How does that, open any question, how does that sound? And then sit in silence. Everyone, I guarantee we did this in Telstra, everyone at the count of seven will go. But if you don't, and they, they get halfway and they go, yeah. I can't do it, I can't do it. How's that sound? <sighs> Stop sabotaging your own sales. Stop it. That is, okay, that is so practical and I, I've never <laughs> done that. And I know, like I know, I'm like, I can talk too much. So that's really, really good. Oh, man, that's so practical. Um, I feel like now I'm thinking, are you counting to 15 <laughs> while I'm talking to you? <laughs> Stop yes. doing that. Stop counting. <laughs> I want to change gears for a second because I feel mm -hmm. like we've, we've, I, I know that we don't have much time left. It's fine. But one thing that you do in Run Gopher, and I, I know we've never talked about this on the podcast before, and I'm really curious about this. So you guys do, it's kind of like SMS marketing. Yeah. Right. Can you talk to us like, I think for a lot of our listeners, this might be something that they've never considered before or they've never thought about. Can you talk to us about how SMS could fit into your overall marketing strategy? Because I, I'm really curious about that. Yeah. So the difference between what we do at Run Gopher and what most other SMS companies do is I ask the question, how do we build engagement now? You will already have a strategy. It might be ads on Facebook, it might be an email. Um, sequence. Okay. So email is getting you 25%. Facebook's giving you some kind of conversion, but there's a, there's a, there's a missing amount here. Let's just talk about it. you've got a hundred clients, 25 people open your email, 75 don't. Mm. So they don't know what you're offering. They actually don't know. It's, it's silence. Yeah. So how do we engage those 75 people? And that's where we come in with SMS. SMS has a 98% open rate. So if you're standing in a crowd, think about it this way. If you're standing in a crowd with 100 people and you go to tell someone your offer, visualize 75 people walking away before you even start talking. That's email. Yeah. They just walk off. How does that make you feel? <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> and, then, and then of those 25 that are remaining, only four people stay behind because they're interested. Yeah. 4% engagement after that. SMS, you start talking, 98 people stay there. Two people wander off, who cares about them? But 98 people stay there and hear everything you have to say. Right. And then at the end of it, there's about a 1% opt-out rate. So one walks off annoyed that you, annoyed that he stayed there listening to you yeah. and opts out. So Engagement is huge. So what we do is I take people through this with SMS and I go, how do we use SMS as part of your current strategy mm. to bring spikes of engagement to support everything else that's happening in your strategy? So it might seem like this. You send an email. We know that 75 people don't read it. Let's send an SMS and tell them that there's important information waiting for them in their inbox. Or better yet, let's say, hey, Laura, it's Adrian from Run Gopher. We've just released this incredible offer. Would you like to hear more about it? Okay, now we're in a conversation. You say yeah. yes. I now have a follow-up automated SMS that says, that's wonderful, Laura. Click this link. It's going to tell you everything you need to know. What they don't know is you've just copied your email to a landing page. It's no extra work. But suddenly now people are engaged in what you have to say. 
So yeah. we do conversational SMS. We have AI in the background that determines particular responses based on how someone actually replies. So we go in, we've got the likes of Cancer Council and Amnesty and UNHCR and um, Budget Direct and a whole bunch of people asking the question, how do we engage our audience more? And mm. SMS is absolutely the answer. That is so cool. And and one thing we found, we don't do SMS at all, but I'm super, super interested in it. But one thing we found is that even um, with direct messages on Instagram and Facebook, that engagement has been significantly like it's more uh, responsive. It feels yeah. less, I want to say email feels a little bit asynchronous, like I'm sending this broadcast, you're receiving the broadcast and you're deciding what you do, whereas DMs and and text feels more like I'm just, we're chatting right now. Yeah. That's really cool. So what types of businesses do you think um, SMS is a good fit for? Do you- Every. Every business? Do you see it working for service-based like startups like like us? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because I think people, ha I mean, so the issue with SMS is you have to have their number. Mm. So you obviously can't talk to someone that you don't have their number to. Yeah. But if you have their number, then you need to think about, well, what are they interested in? Like why did they get in touch? And so it might be, hey, we're running – We've got, a, we've got a workshop that I want to give to you for free. Are you interested? Yes. Click this link and it takes them to a Vimeo or YouTube or your landing page, which has an embedded video. So how do you use SMS to engage and add value to clients? Because you know they're going to read it and you yeah. know they're going to respond. Yeah. Of, so uh, every business, I could sit down with you and think of a way to use SMS to increase engagement we used it in Rev in Run Gopher and we've seen huge results just from our own thing, mm. like our own business using SMS. Um, yeah. So every business has the opportunity to use it. The yeah. example would be Domino's Pizza, right? Yeah. Instead, and this is where we're different. So instead of SMS just being like what you get Friday afternoon where they say 40% off pizzas, click the link. That's cool. That's great. What if I said, Laura, we know you love to smash a meat lover's pizza on a Friday night. Yeah, I Would do. you like me to order one for you? Oh, okay, that's different. Yeah. Yes, I would. Yes. Okay, here's your order and I've applied 40% on the checkout for you. How does that sound? That sounds great. So suddenly you've got a conversation, you've built engagement and they trust you as a brand. Oh, that's awesome. Actually, it could go a little cheeky pizza <laughs> right now. <laughs> No, that's so cool and it's so helpful to to think. I think sometimes we can get so set in our platforms and in our little rhythms and we can think about Instagram, TikTok and all like we can think, oh, no, no, I just need to stay where on this main thing. But I think um, complementary channels within our overall strategy, I think that's yeah. a really cool thing. And you're not reinventing your strategy, you're just adding a a channel that kind of boosts it. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Don't let automation ever come at the cost of customization. Uh, personalization, sorry. Yeah. Don't let automation come at the cost of personalization. SMS is personal. DMs are personal. Yes. Make it as personal as possible and ask for a conversation. Yeah. So, so good. Okay. I want to finish with some rapid fire questions. Okay. 
Finish this sentence. Success oh. looks like. Freedom. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yeah, it does to me. Yep. Yep. I like that. One thing small business owners need to stop doing in their sales today. Undervaluing themselves. Yeah. And what's the biggest piece of advice that you wish you knew when you started your business? Structure, process, consistency. Yeah. They are really Learn rapid fire, Adrian. Sorry, do you want more? No, no, no. no I'm so happy with <laughs> rapid fire. Most people um, make it like a normal question, but I like that you did rapid fire. That's <laughs> <laughs> good. That's but good. I do feel uncomfortable that I haven't expanded on the answers, but that's fine. No, that's the part of it. Leave, leave the people wanting more. <laughs> well, Adrian, where can people connect with you? And if someone was like, oh, my gosh, I need to talk to Adrian about my sales, where can they find you? Uh, find me on LinkedIn. Yeah. Adrian Smith. It's probably not helpful being a Smith, but you'll find me. Or run Gofar, R-U-N-G-O-P-H-E-R, just for people out there. It's a really weird name, but it's good. Rungofar.com. My number's there. Yeah. Um, you'll find me on LinkedIn. Yep. Awesome. We'll link to your LinkedIn in the show notes so people can find you and connect with you there. Thank you so much for coming on the show and thanks so much Pleasure. for coaching all of our students. I'm, I feel like there's going to be a lot of value from this. So thanks a bunch. You're a wizard. Hey, appreciate the invite. My pleasure. Well, there you have it. I hope that you found that super helpful. And I want to remind you, don't just listen to this and kind of go, oh, cool. That's good info. That's nice. Make sure you implement. So make sure you do some of those practical things that Adrian shared today, because I know that it's going to help you in your business. Now, as always, if you loved this episode, I love hearing from you. So please send me a DM and let me know what your biggest takeaway was. And also please share it with a business buddy if you feel like they're going to find this helpful as well. It's good. Uh, I don't know if what it is like business karma or something like that. Anyway, I love your work. I will see you back here. Same time, same place next week. But in the meantime, go get them. <laughs>